I just want to thank you, John, for the last two weeks. John has preached two incredible sermons, in my opinion. They talked about worship in a new and revelatory way. He actually cast vision, but he did it with our permission. John is on our preaching team, but our preaching team all has pieces of what God is trying to say to us. But he dealt with primary purposes and primary callings, and this house is called to be a house of worship. This house is called to be a habitation for the presence of God. This house is not called to just drift in and out, and every once in a while we get a little drop. We want to get drenched in his presence. There's just an anointing on things that make a difference in other people's lives. And, and so John really was talking about us agreeing with heaven. See, us agreeing with the primary purposes of heaven. And so he was bringing us into that, and he did it very skillfully with a lot of power so that little by little, we just, we, even if we weren't of that opinion, we got there. We got there. And see, we can get into agreement with God, though, about worship and what it means and why we do it, and yet compartmentalize our lives and our Christianity so that it practically ends in some areas of our life. And so we can walk out of here, and, and even though in worship, oh my gosh, the presence of God just moved us, and we, we just felt him, and, and, and oh wow, I've never been in a service like that. But when we go home, are we any different? Are we talking the same and, and acting the same as before we came in? Aren't we supposed to be changed in his presence? Aren't we supposed to go from glory to glory to glory and be transformed? See, we should be changed in his presence. Years ago, and some of you know this story, but I'm going to go a little different place with it this morning. Several years ago, Kirk, you'll remember this, Alan, probably you. Cammie is out of town today. Some of the original Generation Jesus leaders remember this. There was this little, precious Asian lady, and she had a vision in the Houston area, and she said that she really felt like believers all over the city were going to come together on one night at various locations all over the city, and they were all going to sing certain hymns, all have a time of corporate prayer, and all receive communion together. And she felt that in that unity, there would be power in our city, power for spiritual growth in the city, for individual believers, for the churches that were participating. And the Bible is very clear that the place of agreement is the place of power. And, the, you know, we need to say that the place of agreement is the place of power. See, if you're in your home and husbands and wives, you're, you're not in agreement, there's a certain weakness that the kids are going to notice and they're going to take advantage of it. But the place of agreement is the place of power. So say that with me. The place of agreement is the place of power. You know, Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9 bears out that there was a people who, being of one language, decided that they were going to build a city where they could all be united, and they were going to build a tower that would reach the heavens, and they were going to make a name for themselves, and they didn't want to be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. But the problem is they wanted to settle for something that wasn't God's plan for them. And this little lady, you know, that shared that vision for Houston, our Generation Jesus ministry had a leadership team at that time of about 15 young people, and we were having revival 
out here in Fort Bend County. Like, people just knew that name. They would go, my child came to your meeting, my my teenager, and got saved. Or, you know, my my kid came to that beach thing y'all had and quit taking drugs. And, I mean, there was just a revival among young people with thousands of young people back in the late 90s. And so she came to us and said, could y'all please host a meeting for the youth that night and have the youth from all over the city don't go to their individual churches but come to y'all's meeting and and y'all host the youth portion of the thing and she said it's going to be called together we enthrone god now nothing's wrong with any of those words together we enthrone god I need to let you know this. Our young people were 17 and 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, and they did ska music, and they did punk music, and we had rock. But, I mean, that's just not how they talked. They just didn't speak in that lingo. And they certainly never sang hymns. I mean, we had hip-hop, and we had, we had break dancers that would come and do stuff. But we didn't do hymns. We just didn't do hymns. Nothing's wrong with hymns. We just didn't do hymns. We'd also never done a communion service, never, at a Generation Jesus meeting. And so, you know, together we enthroned God. Just the minute we heard it, we just, you know what we said? We said, we're going to pray about it. You know, that's what people say. That's a nice, polite Christian way of saying no. You know, we're going to pray about it. You know, one time we needed some finances for a young man to come on staff, and we sent out letters, and so many people sent the reply back, we will pray about it. We felt like we started a prayer revival in Houston. You know, <laughs> we're going to pray about it. So we said, we'll pray about it. Because we didn't want to just say no right off the bat. We didn't want to seem unkind. But it was just understood. We just, we just knew we weren't going to do this. It was just not what we were called to do. And we, we were not ceremonial. You know, we didn't want to do that. Sometimes it can seem religious. We're all going to do the same thing together. We're going to say the same thing together. And then this is going to happen. And we felt that that felt religious. But sometimes you can be religious when you're trying really hard not to be religious. And so we were all in agreement. It just wasn't for us. It felt odd. And at our Monday night leadership meeting, since we had said we're going to pray about it, we didn't want to be liars. So we th- we were going to take a few minutes to pray about it. And I can remember that I was sort of, my face was sort of down on one of the chairs. And Kirk, I remember you were there, and and different people were there. And and we said, let's just pray about it. You know, they want us to host this meeting. But everybody, you just pray about it. Let's see what God says. And we were all convinced God was going to say no, and we'd move on. And so we prayed about it. And I can remember, I, I can honestly remember starting to feel like, you're supposed to do this. And I'm like, oh, my God, no. How am I going to tell them? And, I mean, I could have told them anything. I was, they were, you know, I was in charge. But I'm like, they're going to have to buy into this. Like, this is not going to be an easy sell. And so I'm like, oh, wow, we're supposed to do this? How, how are they going to do How are they going to fit into this mold? And we prayed for about uh, uh, 10 minutes, and I looked up, and I go, anybody? And somebody goes, I think we're supposed to do it. And they were just as amazed as I was. And another voice, I think we're supposed to do it. And another voice, I think the Holy Spirit says, yes, do it. And we were, we were stunned that the thing, we were so certain we were not supposed to do, we were supposed to do. And it, it was just sort of amazing. And so Steve was our worship leader at the time, and Steve did some new musical arrangements and made the hymns really cool. And then when our leaders did communion service, God just fell on them. 
And the communion service was so anointed, and there was such unity in the place. You could tangibly feel the Holy Spirit that night. And it was actually one of the most anointed meetings that we had had. And for years, we would talk about the TWEG meeting. We called it TWEG, Together We Enthrone God, so that, we would, <laughs> so that it sounded a little bit more like the Generation Jesus style. And see, there is a way that seems right to man, but it's not God's plan. <laughs> There's a way that we feel we're comfortable with, but it's not what God is saying. And so the place of agreement is the place of power, but it's not us agreeing with one another. And see, you might think agreeing with one another is it, but it's not us agreeing with one another. It's all of us agreeing with God. See, we can agree. Let's, let's agree to skip church and go shopping. <laughs> I could get five ladies. I could get five ladies in agreement. <laughs> Let's say a show of hands. No, and see, we can, <laughs> we can agree, but that doesn't mean it's God's plan. Two people can agree to go get drunk together, but that's not God's power. <laughs> see, we can, we can pray constantly for God to bless our plan, but sometimes we just need to be asking God for his plan. Because guess what? His plan is already blessed. Ten spies. Ten not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine. Ten spies agreed. Ten Israelite leaders, not just ten nobodies, ten leaders agreed that they could not take the promised land. They were in strong agreement. It's just that they were wrong because it's not what God had said. In Luke 9, James and John agreed that Jesus should call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans. But Jesus just said, no, I don't want to destroy them. I want to save them. You know, at weddings, as part of the ceremony, sometimes we, we quote or we've included an explanation of the fact that while we are all witnesses to the marriage, God is not a witness, but actually a covenant partner in the marriage. And so it's a covenant involving not really two, but three. Three. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And so it can get to a place, though, where two people feel like they are in agreement if they both think the same thing, want to go to the same place, decide to buy something they both like, or decide to agree in prayer about something, but they forget about God. <laughs> and so Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? And I've told people before that there is more harmony in a marriage between two carnal Christians than between one sold-out believer and one complacent one. Because, see, at least in the former case, there is agreement. Two people who, who love to live carnally can actually have peace, <laughs> even though they don't have the abundant life. But there can be a lack of strife. Now, strife will come in other ways. <laughs> you know, it's like saying, boy, they're in agreement. They both love to overspend. You know, they both are really bad with money. They have great agreement in, in, in that marriage. And, and see, you know, they're both this or they're both that. Matthew 18, 19 says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know, I've listened to prayer requests given by really wonderful people and sincere people, and they're asking somebody else to please agree with them. And somehow in me, I would feel this little red light, like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can agree with that. I mean, are they sure this is the direction that God has for them? And so if, if you sort of recoil or, you know, inside and you go, 
okay, and you don't quite pray the prayer of agreement, what do they do? Just go find somebody else that can agree more, and then it's going to happen? See, sometimes we can misapply this principle in a bizarre way. And so this foolish thought that agreement can somehow move God, see, let me just keep looking till I find somebody that can agree with my crazy request. If I can just find one person, I got this. What the prerequisite thought should be, when you agree with God, and when you ask him to lead you in your thoughts, in your ways, in your plans, then you can ask, seek, and knock, and the things of heaven will be pulled down to earth. That's the real agreement that God is after. We can agree with the principle that if two agree, it's powerful, but we've got to know that God will not be brought into agreement with us. We must be brought into agreement with God. God is trying to get somebody to agree with him. John skillfully brought us into agreement with God's mandate over this house concerning worship. And I think people that maybe never even had that in their heart got a glimpse of God's mandate. God is trying to get somebody to agree with him. God is trying to get some church to agree with him. God is trying to get some city to agree with him. God is trying to get some nation to agree with him. And I'm not talking about him not meeting us at the point of our need because he's a good, good father. Good, good father. Well, Sabata had a, an amazing job. He's got his master's in geology. He was a geologist at a big oil firm. And I mean, he was singing, you're a good, good father. The morning we had this big oil downturn and he got laid off along with a bunch of other geologists. But you know what? God didn't change. He was still a good, good father. <laughs> See, circumstances might be difficult at one time or another, but he doesn't change. God will accept us where we are. He'll understand the level we're at. But we do not want to misunderstand this principle and distort this principle of agreement. I believe if we get the cl a really clear understanding of it, there will be an increase in power in the lives of Christians that will be noticeable. Satan is not afraid of God's people. He is afraid of God's power. There's power in agreement. If you're not really in agreement with God, the power level is not there that should be there. Agreement in a marriage between a man and a woman can be a powerful force for fulfilling God's plan. But agreement does not mean doing everything the same way. Years ago, in 1993, Easy and I took a course. The church was pretty new and we realized that, you know, people came in with all sorts of problems. I had done tons of biblical counseling before we founded the church. Uh, he had a men's meeting for 16 years where thousands of men came and their lives were turned around. But we felt like we needed to get a little more insight into this area of marriage. So this course came called Marriage Ministries International, and you could become certified as a leader. And so we went to it, and we became certified. Now, Easy never did any counseling after that because he really just couldn't stand to listen that long to some of the things that people had to say. And he goes, you can do it. But, but in this course, one of the chapters that we studied on was how couples could reach agreement in a marriage. But then they had several ways that people try to reach agreement. And I thought they were quite humorous, except when I realized that we actually did some of them. And one of those ways is like when you're trying to make a decision and you don't know which way God wants you to go, and you're both Christians, but you decide lack of strife, whatever you can decide on without a fight. 
okay? If, if we can get through this and come to the same decision without fighting, this must be God. And it's like the easiest solution. And this is for the passive people among us because they really don't want to confront. And, and so I thought, well, that's humorous. And then number two was expert opinion. Whoever knows the most about the subject, they get their way. And see, what's funny is Easy knew the most about drilling oil. I knew nothing, but I heard from God not to do it. And we lost our shirts in that thing. And when I even said, I know we're not supposed to, what do you know about oil? I don't know oil, but I know God. And then there was another time when he actually, I knew the most, but I was wrong. And so sometimes we do, who's the expert here? You get to decide. But you know who the real expert is? It's God. And if we both lay down our opinions and lay down our mindsets and lay down our want-tos and lay down our wills and say, God, what's your will here? We could actually come out better every time. Number three, compromise. Let's both just, neither one of us has heard from God. We don't know what to do. So let's just meet halfway. You come halfway, I'll come halfway. Two wrongs don't make a right. But we think, oh, we've compromised. This is the way of God. No. It should be 100% God instead of 50 of my stupid opinion and 50 of his. Now, this one I excelled in, it was survival of the fittest, who could last the longest, talk the loudest, (laughs) because, you know, he'd get tired, like, I'm done, and if I could keep going, maybe I'd get my way. Survival of the fittest. You know, men don't want to hear it after a certain point. They're just done. So if you can keep talking... They'll just, they'll, just, they'll just move on. But this is not God's method for agreement. And then there's manipulation. It might work. It's just of the devil. You know, you'll figure out a way to get your way, <laughs> one or the other. Then they, they talked about logic versus emotion. I can operate in either one of these, okay? And see, one of you can be very logical, and one of you can be very emotional in your presentation. And whoever does the best performance, they win. Like, that, that their, their way will get chosen. But see, this is not how God works. And the worst of all, the, posit- the worst of all way to arrive at agreement is open door, closed door. If God opens the door, if God opens the door, we'll just walk through it. But if God closes the door, we know that's not for us. Do you know how many closed doors we had to walk through? Do you know how many times the stadiums were closed to us and we had to keep believing what God said until the door opened? What if you have an open door and then the door closes? It opened and it closed. Now what are you going to do? See, somewhere you have got to hear from God. It's not open door, closed door. It's not who can do the best performance. It's not halfway you and halfway me and we're, we're all the way wrong. See, there is a way where we have to get into agreement with God. You can decide not to discipline your children. You can decide you can't afford to tithe. You can decide to labor in a field that you're not decide to. You can decide a lot of things. But agreement can be hard when God says something about your future that was not your plan. That was not your plan. When God said young people were coming, I go, Huh, somebody else can have them. Okay, not knowing that the young people would be the ones that I was going to train for ministry that were going to be the joy and delight of my life. See, sometimes what you think is your plan and what God has for you, he just knows so much better. And so we need to start getting into agreement with God. For some people, it's hard to agree with God that he loves you, that you are loved, that you're unconditionally accepted. It's hard to to agree with God that, that he's, he's wiped away your shame and he's not looking back at that anymore. It's hard to agree with God 
see that you're not the worm that you thought you were because of what you, it's hard to agree that he's not thinking about those things anymore. And then other people, it's hard to agree when he says, you need a little attitude adjustment. And you go, no, they do, that they do. And he goes, no, you need a little attitude adjustment. And, and you're like, no, them. But see, there are times we just need to agree with God. To be successful in a marriage, you cannot be divided. To be successful in life, you cannot be divided within yourself. Disagreement comes in all shapes and colors and sizes. But at some point, we have got to learn to hear what God is saying and get into agreement with it. We've got to see where God is going and decide we're going to go that way. We're going to go that way. That's not the way I thought I would go, but this is the way God is going, so guess what? I'm going there. The Bible is full of people who thought one way about something and had to let go of their thought to get into agreement with God. Gideon. Gideon didn't think he was, he was going to win this great battle. Hero and hero and hero of the faith, one after another after another, they didn't have the vision for their life that was God's vision. And so they had to let go of their thought and embrace God's. One time we got a prophetic word. We had sold our house. God had said to do that. We, we knew we were supposed to go into full-time ministry. That was not our plan. We wanted to let our business support the ministry, which we had done for many, many years. And then God said, no, get out of business, sell your house, and you're going to go into full-time ministry. And only at that point did every speaking engagement we both have just dry up. And so we just sat in our rented house because we had sold our other house and wondered what we're supposed to do. And it was a difficult time. Waiting on God can be very difficult. And we went to a meeting one night after about a year, year and a half, and a bunch of our friends were there. And one was a minister from another state. He'd been on staff at a church we had gone to. And we were all there for this sort of party. It was really just a get-together. And then we started, ended up worshiping because some guys that played guitar and what have you were there. And the Holy Ghost just fell in the place. And there was this awesome anointing. And this minister from out of state is very prophetic, and he started prophesying to people, and then he looked at us, and he goes, easy and Lena. And we're like, yes, we're going to know what to do now, finally. And he goes, no longer will you do what you want to do. No longer will you say what you will and will not do. No longer will you say where you will and will not go. And we were like, why are we getting in trouble? I mean, we, we sold our house. We laid down everything. We let go of his business. We said, God will follow you, and we're the only ones getting such a bad word. But then we had to go, what are we saying we will not do? Where are we saying we will not go? Because we said, we'll go anywhere, we'll do anything. But we knew we weren't supposed to be pastors because we just were not qualified to be pastors. And that was just sensible. I mean, all of our ministry had been in parachurch ministry. That means, you know, like ministries that do all this stuff for God, but they're not a church. You know, Women's Aglow, Full Gospel Businessmen, Love You Houston, uh, you know, Youth for Christ is such a thing. All, you know, these, these various men, and we're like, that's our forte. And so we know we're not supposed to pastor. And so when it all came down to it, that was the one thing we said we would not do because we didn't think we should do. But God didn't think like we thought. And so we had to come in agreement with him because he didn't want a normal church. He wanted us to raise up five-fold ministers, and it's just a different-looking thing. And so we've trained up ministers who are here and there and everywhere. But it's just a whole different model. But see, we had to come in agreement with him in that first premise to be able to do what he's called us to do. So the question today is, are you agreeing with God? 
God once said to our congregation, there is some attitude, what did he say? Agreement adjustments that you need to make. We're like, wow, agreement adjustments. Agreement adjustments. And see, it's not that anybody's intending to, like, come against God. Nobody's trying to be rebellious. Nobody's trying to put their feet in the sand and not move. But sometimes we need to make agreement adjustments. The place of agreement is the place of power. But conversely, disagreement keeps us in a place of weakness. Keeps us in a place of weakness. Let's ask God. Be open to him. See, be like the small boy that has no will of their own. See, there's a a small boy in the African culture that is the lowest of the low of the low on the totem pole in their caste system, but he honestly has no will of his own. His will is to just do the will of his master. And see, sometimes we need to get like the small boy on the inside and go, okay, I don't have a will of my own. I, I, it's, it's not that I'm weak or purposeless, but I just, I'm not willing to do what I want until I know what you want. And once I know what you want, I will will, I, I will do what's necessary, I will be strategic, I will pray, but, but I want what you want, not thy will, but, uh, not my will, but thine be done. That was Jesus' prayer. And so, Ask him to show you any area that might need adjustment. Let every preconceived idea go if he is not confirming that that is his plan. And then also, take time to pray about it. Because, see, we go, I'll pray about it. (laughs) I'll pray about it, God. But we pray our prayer. And prayer is a two-way street. It's communication. And we might say some things, but we can expect that he's going to say some things to us that he wants to say some things to us. And only, you know, faith begins where the will of God is known. Where the will of God is known. You know, these people that go, well, you know, I just don't know if it's God's will to heal me. I, and I go, well, if it's not, why'd you even go to the doctor? Why are you trying to push against God's will and get better that way? See, you have to know what God's will is, and it is always God's will to heal. You don't have to be confused about that. There are some things that are always God's will, but then there are many variables along the way. And that's where we need to hear from him and know his voice. And so pray about it as in, let God tell you what he wants instead of you telling him. Let God tell you what he wants instead of you telling him. We're going to receive communion this morning. I know we haven't done that in a long time. You know, communion is a, is a covenant uh, ceremony. It's, it's, it's reenacting the Lord's Supper where he gave himself away to the disciples. He gave away his strength, his, his, his weapons, his, his very body to them. He said, take me into you. See, there should be a transformation where we are becoming more and more like him. We're going to take communion. We have these little sanitary emblems where we have the host and the, and the cup all together. You know, I've missed taking communion, but you can take communion at home. See, I've missed taking communion here because we had to figure out a way to do it without the bread and the matzah and the, and the way that we did it before so that everyone felt comfortable. But you can take communion at home. When Easy was on the mission field, every morning they took communion. They didn't have grape juice. They had, sometimes it would be water and a piece of a cracker. But you can take communion at home. You know, when he was undergoing chemotherapy two years ago, I told the doctor, the doctor goes, this doesn't make sense. I didn't even think he'd make it, and, and yet he's never sick. He doesn't have an infection. He makes all of his appointments, and he's my oldest patient. And I go, we take communion every time before we even come in for the chemotherapy. And he goes, what's communion? What's communion? 
There are people here in Sugarland who don't know what it is. It's our partaking of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, commemorating what he did for us, what he did at the Last Supper. And it's not just that he died, and it's not just that he rose, and it's not just that he was buried and rose again from the dead, but it's that he gave himself away to us. He gave his cloak, representing who, his authority and who he was. He gave his weapons, gave his, his assets to us, and we just give him our liabilities. And that's a good trade if I've ever heard one. And so today, we just want to take communion knowing all that he has done for us. And if he has done all this for us, he's not wanting anything bad for us. He has our best interest at heart. He knows the plans that he has for us. They're, they're, they're for a future and a hope that's good and not evil. And so we don't need to ever fear God. We don't need to be afraid that he's got something for us that's going to make us miserable. The things I thought would make me happy didn't, and the things that he had for me were so much better. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together as a body. We can come together in agreement of all that you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your very life for us, that we might have abundant life, not just in heaven, but beginning now, on this earth, right now, today, that we can hear your voice right now, today, that we can be joined to you in an agreement with you now, just as we yield to your will. So, Father, we take this bread, we break it, representing your broken body, and eat it, all of you, remembering what Christ has done. Lord, I just thank you for your blood. I thank you that there's power in the blood of Jesus, that the blood has never lost its power, that the wages of sin is death, but the life is in the blood. So I thank you for the life that dispelled death over my life. I thank you for the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat. I thank you for the blood that was spread over the doorpost of every Israelite, God, and over the lintels of the door, and then the death angel passed over. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that the blood is over our lives. The blood is over the life of every person in this room. And so we take this cup and drink it, remembering what you have done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, I thank you for this people. I thank you for a people that want to worship you. I thank you for a people that want to hear from you. But I thank you for a people that our Christianity doesn't end at the door. It doesn't end when we get in the car. It doesn't end when we enter our homes, God. But it continues day by day, moment by moment. Lord, in the good times and the bad times, when it's easy, when it's hard, we will remember what you have done. And we will know that you have a way. You want to speak to us, God. And we will agree with you. So stand to your feet with me. Father, I thank you that I just pray a blessing over every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, to protect them in the days ahead. I thank you, God, for this pivotal week that's ahead for our country. Father, I just thank you right now for peace in our land. I thank you right now that the, the, that you will be over the home of every righteous person. Father, I just thank you, Lord. We just speak peace to the atmosphere. Father, I thank you that we will be agents of peace and love and life. And so, Father, we pray for this country, God. We want to continue being one nation under God. And, Father, I know that there are, there are ungodly factions that are all around us. But, Father, I thank you that where evil abounds, grace does much more abound. And so we thank you for a, an outpouring of your grace in this hour, an outpouring of grace over our country, over each individual city. And so, Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We look to you, God. We look to you from what's cometh our help. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen.